0: What is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss is God. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Because guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this.
1: Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Bluters. With moderator... Sam Hine.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of a new podcast all about Highway to Heaven. It's called Highway to Heaven Revisited, and it's hosted by my two friends here, Joel Luters and Rachel Meyer. I, of course, am your moderator, Sam Hine, and the premise is that I don't watch the show, and Rachel and Joel do watch the show. And then I asked them what happened on the show. I was interrupting you about six times. What were you trying to say on your own show, Joel? Don't forget, you're a host and I'm only a moderator. On this show, we're going to
3: watch episodes and, you know, try to explain them to you
2: as best we can.
3: We all come from our own different kind of perspectives. As a kid, I thought this show was really boring. Uh, My wife,
2: Rachel.
4: I really liked it.
2: I generally thought it was for old people. But um, we're all going to explore this together. This next episode is called
3: To Touch the Moon.
2: To Touch the Moon. So if I were to wager where the first scene of this particular episode takes place, I would have to say that it probably takes place at NASA headquarters in Cape Canaveral. It
4: actually takes place on the moon, surprisingly.
2: Oh, my. Yeah.
3: The camera is showing the moon. The camera pulls back and you see the Apollo rockets and the lunar lander. As the camera keeps pulling back, pulling back, we find that we are in the interior of a children's bed, uh, a kid's bedroom.
2: I had so many follow-up questions about the condition of the spacecrafts and whether or not they were in transit in a very pedestrian way or whether or not they were damaged by extraterrestrial forces on the journey towards the lunar surface. But, of course, these are... Plastic models.
4: The kid's in bed. He's playing with some little space toys. I can't remember exactly what they were. And if you pay close attention, you might notice what I recognized as it looked like a hospital bracelet on his wrist.
2: And he mumbles out loud, I want to touch the moon. Is this before the Make-A-Wish Foundation has been established?
4: That's a good question. Do you yeah. think they grant wishes to touch the moon?
2: I doubt they do, but they could reinterpret that and be like, well, you can meet some astronauts. We could send this guy who did a spacewalk to your school, or we could, you know, here's a here's a rock from the moon. You can touch this.
4: Could give them some astronaut ice cream. Do you guys oh. remember that?
2: I do remember being fascinated by astronaut ice cream, but I never ate any. Have either of you two eaten any astronaut ice cream? I have, I have, but
4: I did mention to Joel, when I was a little girl, I actually lived in Kansas. I was in a small town in Kansas, and there was some kind of a space museum. I didn't look it up, and I can't sure. remember exactly what it was, but I know it was a really fun place to visit. My favorite part was the gift shop where they sold astronaut ice cream.
2: Amazing.
3: Yeah.
4: Where did you have astronaut ice cream, Joel? The
2: astronaut ice cream that I had was when I visited the Mall of America when I was 12. I did not know that astronaut ice cream was available at one point at the Mall of America. I didn't either. Dippin' dots? Oh, Are okay. dippin' dots astronaut ice cream? Oh, I've had ice cream of the future. Well, no, but not.
4: <laughs> Now you have some uh, life goals. Oh, no.
2: Yeah, okay. Astronaut okay.
4: ice cream, if this is what you're remembering, Sam, comes in a little foil pouch, a little bigger than a baseball card size, and it is freeze dried ice cream.
2: That's what I was going to ask you. First of all, what is the temperature of astronaut ice cream? And it does come in some sort of tube. Don't look at me, apparently. I don't know. Um, Dippin' Dots are delicious. I've had them at least once.
4: Yeah, it's a little silver pouch, and you open it up, and it's just like pretty flat, dry, semi-sweet tasting. You might think that you're supposed to reconstitute it in some way, but we didn't. I don't know. Maybe we were supposed to.
2: Is the texture akin to anything like a rice cake?
4: Mm, a little firmer.
2: Firmer than a rice mm-hmm, cake.
4: Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't sound good to Let's do. imagine
2: something very flaky, kind of like...
4: Yeah, I mean, maybe we can Hispanical
2: get some. A So as far as the production values of the show, guys, were you fooled? Did you actually think you were out in outer space? Do you think I would have been fooled that we were in outer space? I thought that they were going to be like at a museum and okay. not a bedroom. So where this is leading me right now, guys, is I'm very worried on a certain level that this is an alien abduction episode, and let me just tell you, alien abduction is a terrifying topic for me. This isn't a Chips podcast, but I have a very vague recollection, I have a very distinctly vague recollection about an alien abduction episode of Chips that haunted me for many evenings in a row. The motorcycle cops would leave this little girl alone at her house, and she's like, aliens are coming to my house and getting me all the time. And they're like, nah, don't worry about it. And they leave her house. Literally that night, she's like laying in her bed, can't sleep because aliens keep coming by. And then like flashing lights are outside her bedroom window. And they take her, they do stuff. I don't know. I don't remember, but it terrified the shit out of me. Yeah, were you
4: worried that was going to happen to you?
2: Yeah, I really was. I had no problem with there being aliens in Star Wars or Star Trek, but alien abduction in general is very-
4: It never seems to be. Good. No. You know what that makes me think about? We don't trust kids when they tell us like aliens are coming or they talk about supernatural worlds or things that have happened. We never trust them. But this episode coming up, they trust the kids.
2: Good. So we see this kid. He's been to the hospital recently enough to still have a bracelet on, but he likes outer space. He says, I want to touch the moon. And
3: then we have Jonathan. And Mark,
2: and they're driving together. The established best friends of the show are finally together, starting their first Magic Angel mission.
1: I tried and I tried
5: to keep her satisfied, but she wouldn't stay. So now
3: that she's a leaver, and this is all I can say, I got a feeling called the blues. All right, now what's wrong with this thing? Now I just had it fixed.
0: Must be a fuse or a short. Yeah, can't you do something? Wish I could. Some angel I'm with you. He can't even make a radio play. You want me to be honest with you? Yeah. It's your singing or whatever that is you've been doing for the last hour and a half.
3: Wait, you mean you did that? Yeah, I did that. That's not fair, Jonathan. I like music when I'm driving. Now, come on, come on.
0: All right.
5: Cute, <laughs> cute.
3: All right. I can't have music. I want to eat. That all right? Fine right, with me. Good. Then they drive past a kid who's
2: hitchhiking on the side of the road. Is it the same kid we saw in their room thinking about touching the moon? Not at all. Different kid, this is a street kid. Is yeah. it Corey Feldman? <laughs> No. Is it a very young Jason Bateman? <laughs>
4: Unfortunately, no.
3: Unfortunately,
2: it's not.
4: They pick up this kid, and then they start talking about how they're going to stop for breakfast. Yes. So they're like, hey, kid, we know we just picked you up, but you want to you stop for breakfast with us? We're going to stop at the diner up here. And, yeah, know?
2: we're just like a couple non-threatening old men have breakfast with us. So they invite him in for a sandwich. Kid says, now, I'll stay in the car.
4: I'm not hungry. This
2: show, once again, uh, defying my expectations. So they go in for breakfast? They still go in for
3: breakfast, but then series of remarks like, you know what? not going to order too much food. That way I'll go out and be like, eh, I don't need this extra cheeseburger.
2: Sure.
4: And Mark starts talking about how he knows this type of kid. You know, if you remember from our first episode, Mark was a cop for 15 years. Yes. So he's seen this kind of kid. You can tell he's a good kid. He's an innocent kid. He just needs some help. He's going to get him some food he can't say no to.
2: This is a good improvement for Mark because not only did we find out that Mark was, you know, an ex-cop, but he showed some, you know, weird... T- tendencies in that pilot episode.
4: Yeah, it seems like Mark's become a lot more trusting of an individual.
2: So I like that move. It's a good move where you're like, hey, I know a kid who needs some food. I'm going to get him a sandwich, even though he says he doesn't want one. But kid steals the car. I knew it. Jonathan Smith says, "Ah, you go find that kid and we'll meet up later. Because
3: you're an old cop. You're an old cop.
4: And and he's like, what? He has Uh, something to do.
3: He's like, I gotta go.
2: I got something uh, that I need to do. My boss is paging me. Okay, great. So Victor French has like no car and this is like a diner on the highway. So Victor French is like WTF Michael Landon. He
4: is. He is like, wait, what? Pretty much.
2: Who do we follow?
4: We're in a doctor's office and there's a an older woman a mom she's like 40s maybe and a doctor
3: yeah dr bender doctor turns to the lady and says your son arthur can come home because he's no longer in remission
4: and she says oh good i'm so excited his birthday is tomorrow and we really wanted him to come home for his birthday and she kind of gets a little excited about it
2: okay this kid has cancer <laughs> yes. okay very uplifting so there's a kid with cancer who has more cancer and she's like,
4: he gets to come home? Oh, it's his birthday tomorrow. They're just really not communicating They're not well, communicating the, the well. I'm,
2: I got
3: very mad at the doctor for not being clear. Your child's not going home because they're cured. Your child's going home because there's nothing left that it's, we can do. Your child is dying. And I think if there is one thing never to do is to get those two mistaken for each other.
4: What else are you going to do? What else can you try? What are you, This can't be it. And then finally the the resolution of, oh, okay. Then we're done in the doctor's office.
2: Okay, so the mom finally gets the message and realizes that her son is very sick and is going to come home to die. Yes. Just in time for his birthday.
4: Yes, he's going to be home for his birthday, though. Great. Yeah, and the mom's name is Helen. So we meet Helen the mom.
2: Is she the sort of same type as the ingenue from the last episode? I'm not trying to objectify women here. I'm trying to get into the mind of Michael Landon. As far as he is established in the first two episodes, a woman to dangle the radiant sexual angel carrot in front of, does Michael Landon have a type?
4: Oh, yeah. I I think so. What do you think, Joel? I would
2: agree. Is she a similar type to the Leslie character from the two-part pilot episode?
4: She's a little more, presented a little more momish. She's probably a couple years older. Maybe just a touch more frumpy looking, but still not an unattractive figure. And definitely vulnerable.
3: And single and pushed
2: to the limit. To establish a person that needs magic help from an angel, they have to be a lot of those things. What's the next scene? We're out of the doctor's office.
4: So Mark is actually at the police station now. Filing a
2: report about the stolen Yep,
4: filing a report about the car.
2: Does Mark spend a lot of time telling the other cops in the station how much of a cop he used to be?
4: No, the other cops actually kind of uh, scold Mark and tell him he shouldn't have picked up the kid in the first place.
2: How does Mark handle this?
3: He leaves the police station, and when he's uh, crossing the street, a car slams on brakes and almost hits him. It's probably his car. It sounds like his car.
5: Hey, where's the fire? Are you going to kill somebody? Hey,
3: it's you. It's my car! my car! Hey! Kid gets away. Mark then stops the very next car. Follow that car. Now, just a minute. I'm a police officer.
2: That's a lie.
4: The car he gets into is actually a limousine, and it's a a very small, elderly white woman sitting in the back seat, and her chauffeur... (laughs) in the front seat driving her around and of course he doesn't want Mark there and the little old lady's like for heaven's sakes Randall, follows the car. Yes ma'am. And so they take off. The limo is chasing the Mark's car.
2: Chasing Mark's- That's amazing. I think I'm gonna learn how rich this old lady is because not only does she have a limousine, she has a chauffeur. She probably likes to party.
4: I hope this lady shows up in another show because unfortunately this is the last we see of her. She's really only in the show for a minute. They are following the kid in the car. Mark car with the kid in it squeals into a turn and then it crashes, but luckily it crashes into a big pile of boxes that appear to be filled with hay. So it's just like cardboard and hay flying everywhere. The kid gets out of his car and starts running and he takes off down the street and he climbs up one of those fire escapes on the side of an apartment building. You know how you have to jump yeah, up yes, and grab the ladder? Yes, West Side Story. Mm-hmm.
2: set. I can totally see it in my yeah. brain. Victor French must eventually grab this kid on the top of the building and shake well, him up, right?
4: I think the mistake that the kid made is he actually ran into that specific building because that's where his grandma lives.
2: Not very sneaky, the no. slamming of doors. Was Victor French, in the hallway to hear the door slam. He is alerted by that noise.
4: And then as he gets closer to the door, he hears grandma through the door yelling at the boy. so that Mark goes and knocks on the door.
2: Does he knock on the door and say, police, police, I'm a real cop. Because if he did, that's still a lie.
3: No, he knocks on the door and he says, hey, your grandson stole my car.
4: And grandma's like, I bet he did. (laughs) Here, you can have him.
3: You take him. You take care of this. (laughs) Gives him her grandson.
4: She's kind of like, I'm done
3: with you. I don't know what to do with you. Take this kid in. Take him to the police. Mm
4: -hmm. And then the kid says, you're just like my mom.
2: So this kid literally has nobody in his life he can depend on. His mom is gone and his Mm -hmm. grandma doesn't give a flip about him. So she's like, hey, stranger, you know, you're a giant. Scruffy man chasing down my son. And he's got a baseball cap on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the he's angels got. Cap. He's got, okay. <sighs> Duh. Yes. I was going to ask you, like, what? Is it a Yankees cap? No, it's an Angels cap. So he's got an Angels cap on. And this yeah. guy is like pretty burly looking. Mm-hmm. He's pretty wide shouldered. He's got a full beard. But this grandma's like, yeah, take my delinquent teenage grandson. I don't care about him. Have your way with him.
4: And I'm going to say, just in advance of this episode, get kind of comfortable with that idea. Kids just yeah. go in places. It's cool. So he just goes. Was with Mark, and I don't, I don't know why he was so compliant. Maybe because nobody else loved him. So the kid just, just sort of like his Mark.
2: shoulders slump, and he just walks out the door with Mark. <laughs>
3: yeah, yep. get back in, in the car. House, get back. <laughs>
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is driving me crazy. Okay, so what what happens next? Meanwhile, elsewhere, at the White Mansion. We're at the White Mansion, probably uh, occupied by white people. Is this correct? That is correct.
4: The show is mostly white people.
2: It does not surprise me.
3: I would say the grandmother was like an Italian immigrant. she got a little bit of an accent. I see.
4: I think we're out in the suburbs. It looks really nicely manicured. Okay. beautiful green grass, lots of trees everywhere.
3: John knocks on the door and uh, meets the mother that was in the hospital.
4: Helen.
2: so Helen is loaded. How quick does Michael land and Michael landed himself into her house? almost immediately within
3: seconds. And, and and I would say I would say he takes it to the next level based off of this first episode. <laughs>
5: Yes.
0: Hi. uh, I'm sorry to just ring your bell like this, but your phone isn't listed.
5: Do I know you?
0: Your husband might have mentioned me. We were in training together in Houston at NASA. I'm Jonathan Smith.
3: Okay. He was always talking about your son, Arthur. I got a gift for him. Don't you find it troubling?
4: Like,
2: he's lying.
4: I think it's okay to lie if it's for the greater good. I think that's okay. And so, in Helen's defense, she does initially say no. No. She says that Michael starts walking away, and then about two seconds later, so she holds out, let's say, three seconds total. She goes running down the sidewalk after Michael Landon, and she's like, oh, you know what? My son Arthur, he loves visitors. Why don't you just go around the back? He's in the backyard. Just go out and back and find him. I'm going to hang out in the house by myself.
2: Is it dark outside? Is it nighttime? Because this whole scene has been playing out in nighttime, so the kid (laughs) is just terminal cancer kid is out in the yard at night. (laughs) Okay, it's not nighttime.
4: No, that makes it way more depressing. It <laughs> is. You know, yeah, it was, trust it me. Is, it was
2: pretty <laughs> depressing a second ago,
3: guys.
4: No, it's, like, it's like a middle of the afternoon, sunshiny, beautiful day.
2: So Michael Lannan goes back there, and how does he break the ice?
3: The first thing that we realize is we get a good shot of Arthur the Child, and both of us are, are like, who is this kid?
4: Who did I think he was? You thought it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I I I said it was the wrong
3: year. Who is it? It's
2: the kid from NeverEnding Story. Sebastian? Bastion. It's Bastion? It's Bastion from NeverEnding Story. I love that kid. I lived so many lifetimes as that kid watching NeverEnding Story.
4: Yeah, so now you can picture him for the rest of this. He's a
2: wonderful surrogate for my human experience. Okay, so Bastion is sick.
4: Bastion's in the backyard.
2: As far as kids on screen, this, this kid's bringing it. I don't think this person is still an actor, but it's a shame.
4: He left acting in his teens and went back to school and learned this obscure photography technique that I don't know the name of it. I did recognize it when I read it and has studied it extensively and now teaches at the university and writes books about this photography technique and exhibits his work.
2: What's weird about this photography technique? What's niche about it? Some Mm, type of a plate type. Right. So it sounds like old school, like tin type kind of stuff.
3: like yeah. Type. this is not this quite is that old. Not
2: sure. quite daguerreotype. I'm glad to hear that he's still doing something creative and uh, living life out there. Yeah. Okay, so Bastion's in the backyard. What's Michael Landon's angle?
4: Michael Landon gives him his present, and I yeah. can't remember exactly what the present was. I think maybe it was a model. It spaceship? was a
3: it was a submarine, that, okay. a, like a remote control submarine that you could play with underwater. So I, I was close, pretty
2: close.
4: But he gives him the present, and then they're talking, and in the conversation, we find out that Bastion's dad died in a plane crash. He is an astronaut who did go to, into space, but he actually died, presumably piloting just a regular flight. Yep. Okay. but mm-hmm. he was a hero. I was I didn't understand all the details. They say he was a real
0: hero. Oh, he sure was. Your father could have ejected from that plane, but he stayed with it till he got it over the ocean. There's no telling how many lives he saved.
5: I don't know if I could ever be that brave.
0: I don't think any of us do until the time comes.
5: Have you ever been afraid of dying, I mean?
0: I was once.
3: Which made me think, is he a ghost angel? Was he once a human and then died and became an angel?
2: Yeah, there was some implication by Michael Landon's character in the last episode where he implies that he's a new angel. He's relatively new at this Quantum Leap style fixer business. It's up to the author of this material, but the angels seem to be a predestined group of beings. You know, I spent a certain amount of time as a Lutheran Bible camp counselor and I've, I've spent a little time reading the Bible, and it just seems like the angels were around as soon as the earth was made, and it was like there's angels and demons.
4: You're correct. I know a lot of Bible trivia myself, and there's nothing that I know of in the Bible that talks about you die and then come back as an angel. I don't think that's how it works.
2: But evidently, that's how Michael Landon rolls. So
4: he's implied... I mean, this might have
3: been my interpretation of it, because as a kid, I always thought angels were Christian versions of ghosts.
4: Yeah, you didn't really pay attention in Sunday school.
3: Dang. Sure.
2: Shots off the port bow.
3: To the st- only do the stuff I disagreed with.
2: Come on now. <laughs> In my mind, uh, I don't understand why an angel would be afraid of dying at any point because they're an immortal being.
4: I mean, if it does work that way, that you get to be an angel when you die, do you think you get to choose?
3: I think you get chosen.
4: I'm just hoping they give us more information about this yeah. as the series goes on.
2: Well, let's just say, for the sake of argument, until proven otherwise, that Michael Landon used to be a human being, died at some point, and was turned into an angel. Let's Love go it. with it. Does Bastion find this comforting, his time with Michael Landon in the backyard?
4: Yeah, he invites him to dinner. It's the Michael Landon effect full on. He's like, Yeah, you gave me a present, stay for dinner. The next thing we know, Mark and the delinquent oh pull up gosh, in front of the yes. house.
2: Oh. Now, we
4: haven't said, but the delinquent's name is Tony. So Great. Mark and Tony pull up in front of the house. And then everyone goes out to see them. And little bastion, Arthur is like, oh, mom, can everyone stay to dinner? All yes. these people we don't know. And yes. then again, she's like, I don't know. Oh, okay. So now everybody's at dinner. Helen, Tony, mm-hmm. Arthur, Mark. And then after dinner, Mark goes up to look at the telescope. Mark and Tony and Arthur go up yeah, to look at the telescope. Me. And while they're looking at the telescope... Here's what I wrote. Downstairs, Jonathan finds himself once again alone with the single vulnerable lady.
2: Love it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how Mm -hmm. she gets flustered.
4: She gets a little flustered, but really she just starts to talk about her husband dying. Awkward.
2: I mean, that's a good icebreaker Mm -hmm. when you're starting a new relationship. You just start talking about your dead husband to really get the juices flowing.
4: Jonathan,
5: you were there. How could it happen? How can he go all the way to the moon and back and then die on a flight from Houston to... How? Why? My God! How can he do that? I need him!
4: I need him so much! And then we cut up to the bedroom where everybody's looking at the telescope. Bastian's talking about how his dad died.
3: And about what it's like to be sad.
4: And Tony's talking about how bitter he is. <laughs>
2: they both are just talking about being sad really?
4: and bitter. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. How does Mark color this scene? Is he just up there not being in the kitchen with helen and uh yeah, yeah, that's michael I remember i yeah. think
4: he kind of is just up there
2: he's two just talk about what it's like being sad so both of these kids are opening up veins about the existential crises they're both having as human beings and mark does little to quell any of their anxieties
4: maybe mark wasn't there where was mark um, was he there?
3: He was. He, I, Mark, Mark and Arthur sit mm-hmm. and uh, talk about what it's like to be sad. Okay. And so yeah, so
4: Mark, Mark offers no adult wisdom, which is kind of, kind of refreshing, Yeah. No. Yeah.
2: okay. No comfort coming from Victor Franceson.
1: Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, Please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highwaytoheavenrevisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to Revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over.
2: Alright, so what happens the next scene? They
4: have a slumber party. Yeah, Arthur wants Tony to sleep over. Bastion wants Tony to spend the night.
2: And Tony's all for it because he's like, your mom is way less threatening than this Victor French guy my grandma just gave me away to, so I'll sleep here. You guys got a huge house.
4: And he has some ulterior motives.
2: Are you telling me that this character that we already saw steal an automobile might be capable of stealing again? Possibly. Oh my goodness.
4: So, Helen agrees to let Tony stay at the house. And before Mark and Jonathan leave, everyone makes plans to go to the park for Arthur's birthday the next day. So
2: everybody's going to be there. All the brand new friends. Yes.
4: And I was feeling bad for Helen at this point because I thought she has no support system except for these strangers she just met.
2: There's no husband. There's no implication of a sibling nearby. No No cool aunts or uncles. Is there a scene in Helen's house the next morning? There's a scene in the middle of the night. Tony slips away and goes through the cabinets and steals the
3: over like fills up a pillowcase and as he's about to sneak out of the white mansion he bumps into john
0: you're walking in your sleep son
5: i i couldn't sleep i was worried about my grandma oh i can understand that
0: what you got in the bag
5: nothing just some stuff arthur gave me he's got a room full of junk
0: uh, that was nice of him why not you let me see
5: sure all right i took some stuff i got plenty What did you bring me here for anyway? To see how the other half lives? That dumb kid's got everything he wants.
0: No, not quite.
5: Big deal. His old man's dead. He's got a mother. He's got a big house.
0: And he's got cancer. That's right. He's dying, Tony. He's only got a little time left, and he wants to spend that precious time with you. Why? I don't know. But whatever the reason, he deserves better than having you run out on him.
3: And Jonathan ends not making a deal with Tony. And he basically says, I'll make a deal with you. If you hang out with him while he dies, I'll send you anywhere in the world
2: you want to go. Just be nice to the sick kid and you get a trip to the lower 48 states. Yep. Yes. So Tony leaves the silver and still takes off. Or goes back to bed. What does he do, guys?
4: He goes back to bed. He takes the deal. Tony
2: takes the deal. So everybody wakes up in the morning, waffles for breakfast. What's going on?
4: We're going to cut to the park the next day. This is much more
2: economical storytelling Mm -hmm. than if I was writing the script. There would be a breakfast scene.
4: This one isn't a two-parter.
2: So they're in the park, and it is Bastion's birthday.
3: I've only written Dead Birds and Breakdancing, and I don't know.
2: (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) God. Oh my my God.
4: I don't remember any dead birds. So I have that they're watching the ducks.
3: They're watching the ducks. All right, they're watching the ducks.
4: Jonathan and Bastion are watching the ducks. And Jonathan, because he's an angel, so he knows this stuff about the ducks, he tells Arthur, it's a mama duck and baby ducks. And he says, the mama duck adopted one of the baby ducks whose parents died. And so she took the baby duck under her wing, to which little Arthur Bastion replies, it's a shame it can't be like that with people. And Jonathan says, why can't it?
2: I wonder where this is all going.
4: And then after that, they cut to a shot of Helen and Mark and Tony messing around. And Tony is teaching Mark how to moonwalk.
2: Is there a gaggle of like urban youths in the park with a couple pieces of cardboard and a boombox doing some sweet moves? No, No, it's just teaching them how to moonwalk. Okay, well, it's probably the most popular dance move ever, if not the biggest one, easily to come out of the 80s. Do you guys know how to moonwalk? I mean, I don't know if it looks cool when I do it, but I get the mechanics of it. The secret to... To a good moonwalk as far as I'm concerned is like it has to be the right balance of backward motion in tandem with how quickly you move your feet into that pointed toe position. You get your foot up on its toe really fast and then you take it all the way back so it looks like you're just sort of like gliding on your toes. I can levitate. You Magician can, levitation. You can levitate? Yeah.
3: But I can't do moonwalking. Why don't you just uh, levitate right now, Joe? You gotta watch my feet. They go up first. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Joel is uh, doing a sweet move in my living room, and he's, uh, yeah. He's, yeah,
4: he has, he's levitated. I'm, he, I'm
2: he levitated yeah. at least twice Wow! for those of you listening at home. Good job, Joel. Thank you. A plus.
4: I feel like the little old lady from the car earlier would have tried moonwalking. I'm Great.
2: surprised she's not at the birthday party. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still upset that she's gone. Okay, so we leave the birthday party. What happens next?
4: Slumber party number two. We're back at the house. It's just
2: a marathon hang with Helen and these randos.
4: And Tony and Arthur are sharing a bed. Yes. And I'm not, they do that for all the slumber parties. Not reading too much into that. Just it's a high level of intimacy. <laughs> sure. I wouldn't have wanted to share a bed with a kid I just met the night before. Ugh.
2: I had a friend in uh, junior high. He had like a queen bed. So it was weird. He was just like, yeah, just sleep on this side of the bed. And I was like, ow. Uh, okay. Hmm. I had a queen size water bed. Again, always <laughs> bragging, Joel.
4: Best childhood ever.
2: I grew up in Missouri. I had cable TV and a water bed. And a Sega CD in the bedroom. Have you guys seen any advertisements on the internet similar to that mini Nintendo they released mm. last year or the yeah, year before? Mini Super mm. Nintendo thing. They're going to do something similar with the Sega Genesis, and it's only seventy nine ninety nine. And it has & Earl, Altered Beast, and Earthworm Jim on it. I mean, that sounds nearly free to me. Totem and Earl was one of the few games I remember playing that just made me not feel alone. Rachel, have you heard of any of these video games?
4: I'm not really the target market for that.
2: The look on your face says, I have heard of zero of these things. I did
4: not grow up playing video games. I didn't have the childhood Joel did. No cable, no video games, no Missouri.
2: My father, at the time that this show was on, worked at a video store. Back in the day when there were independent video stores, not only could you go there and rent VHS tapes, but you could also rent video game systems like a Nintendo for the weekend. Let me just tell you the story of the day that my dad brought a used Nintendo system from the video store to live in our house permanently. Whoa. I was excited. My little brother was excited at the time. We immediately unpacked it and started playing it on the TV in the living room, and I overheard my mother say to my father, she brought him back into their bedroom, and uh, I heard my mother say, I just want to thank you you for bringing that thing from hell into my house <laughs> So I'm not sure how to interpret how my mom felt, but I'd like to think that she might have been a little disappointed that my dad brought video games into the house.
4: I mean, I definitely remember that being a stance. I have one sister, and we were never very interested in video games, so the issue never came up about whether or not they were really allowed in the household or not, or if my parents were just really relieved day in and day out that we never asked for them.
3: I grew up with systems around, but owned very few games. Mostly would rent them with friends, and we would like have a little lost weekends time would like you know disappear trying to beat a game with a friend over a
2: weekend my most fond memories are playing video games with friends playing mortal Kombat all night at my friend doug's house while we listened to his single tape of whoop there it is on repeat one of the people on mortal Kombat, they yeah. sort of do that thing where they're kind of like shifting their weight from side to side mm-hmm. let me tell you that according to our fourth grade brains they're sort of stagnant move was pretty much on tempo with whoop there it is
4: i missed out on a lot
2: you really missed it too late okay so they did not play video games at bastion's house no but we get a close-up of just how
3: elaborate his bedroom is and okay all of the nasa posters and yeah models that are in the bedroom the kids talk to each other about death darn
5: what a great time to watch a spooky lightning and everything you want to hear something spooky what i'm dying i know how'd you know jonathan told me no my mom must have told him i didn't think you knew yeah nobody told me but i know and you've been sick as long as me you know you can tell the way people are with you it feel like knowing? It's kind of scary. It was real bad when I first got sick, but it's funny. After a while, it it changes. It's almost like how you feel when you're going to go to a new school. You're scared, but you wonder what it's going to be like. That's my mom I'm worried about.
3: Because that's, that's... she's lost her dad, and now she's going to lose him. Wait, Helen's dad died? <laughs> <laughs> her husband.
2: Okay, so... His dad.
4: And as we already know, Helen has no other friend. she's
2: zero so friends. She's got no other friends, and despite being like a good-looking woman, she's Ash got looming. no prospects, even though she's loaded. Right. <laughs> Isn't that always how it goes?
4: But Bastion says he already knew. He said, no one's told me, but I know I'm
2: dying. That's the thing in the 80s that everybody wasn't paying attention to is like children's emotions are actually exactly the same size as grown ups' emotions.
4: And you should listen to kids if they tell you they're going to be abducted by aliens. Might be a good takeaway. <laughs>
2: All right, so there's a little bonding between Tony and Bastion.
4: They're, yeah, they're Bastion sharing. basically
2: says, literally says, I want my mom to raise you, Tony.
4: And Whoa. then Tony's mm-hmm.
3: like, huh? And he's like, all I'm talking about are two people who need each other.
4: It's fate. He says, it's fate.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, this this is...
4: It's it's Michael Landon.
2: <laughs> this is bringing me down, guys. Okay, uh, what happens
4: next? Tony says he'll think about it.
2: Tony says he'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. My grandma hates me. My mom doesn't want me. And you're dying And you want her to adopt me. Okay. When is Michael Landon back on this show? Because there's a lot of characters that need some real intervention here.
4: I have to say, compared to the pilot first two episodes, yes. there's not a lot of Michael Landon in this show. So there's
2: yeah. a decreased Michael Landon factor. Definitely. Yeah. Like Even though Michael Landon isn't on screen for much of this episode, like is he still there?
4: I mean, he's definitely orchestrated these events.
2: And he shows up at the
3: end in a very strong way that I think he's not completely missed it's not like a totally light episode
2: okay so this time around you think
3: happens next
2: i don't even know are we at helen's place of work do we go to helen's job what we get to see are lots of scenes of family bonding
4: we're back at the park.
3: We're back at the park. There's dogs swimming. There's lots of them laughing. Uh, they have a all
4: dog of all of a sudden. Yeah, a dog There's shows a dog up. there.
3: What kind of
2: dog?
4: A good one. It's kind of a brown and black, muddy, terrier-looking dog. Does it
2: seem that a lot of time has passed? And also, are Michael Landon and Victor French present in that montage of family bonding? No.
4: No, and I, I think it's literally the next day after they were talking in I think in it's the
3: next day and they're back at the park and they're all bonding and
2: laughing together. They're
3: playing okay.
4: frisbee, they're eating popcorn, the dog is playing frisbee. All right,
2: conceivably, they could have had a dog at Helen's house. I guess I'm okay with that.
4: Do you think it's possible Michael Landon was the dog? He wasn't in the scene. Could he turn himself into an angel dog just to make the day better?
2: I don't see anything to dissuade me of that. I'd like to think that if Michael Michael Landon can't make money. At least he can turn himself and do a dog. He would be a good dog. You know, this idea of adopting Tony is more and more plausible. Lots of bonding, lots of hugging,
3: lots of laughing together. Then Arthur collapses.
4: Wait.
2: Joel, you're always you're always
4: of, fast forwarding. Um, They go home first. That's all. Mm-hmm. I just want to paint the picture. They have a okay. great day at the park. Sleepover number three. They're getting ready. Everybody's in their pajamas. Yeah. Tony and Arthur are up in the room. Then
2: Arthur collapses. Arthur collapses. Arthur slash bastion is bastion just exhausted from this new friend marathon that's occurring in his life i mean this kid has terminal cancer he could use a nap or two
3: that's a really good supposition i assume that it was cancer related
2: (laughs) okay this is a cancer related collapsing the the next the next scene has to be at the hospital hospital yep and bastion is dead not quite, Bastian and Helen are in the are in the room together alone
4: I'm gonna
5: die, and I'm not afraid, but Tony's gonna live, and he is afraid. he's afraid he's gonna be alone like before. I know he didn't say that, but he is Mom, you won't let him be alone, will you?
3: <laughs> no, you promise. I promise. Go stay with Tony. I want to rest by myself. Oh, God. And so the mom leaves her, her dying son alone in the hospital room. Then John appears okay. in the hospital room.
2: Do you guys remember that part where he was alone up in the loft of his school during Neverending Story? Mm-hmm. And the princess is like,
5: Bastian, Why don't you do what you dream?
2: I remember what he says, but he Mm. screams out the window moon child. Is that what he says? Yeah, that's her name.
4: Moonchild. I didn't actually watch Never Ending Story until I met Joel. It's really, it's really. That was good. my favorite
3: when I was a kid. I should say, no one knows what the name it, that he shouts out is. I only knew it because I had it on a cassette that had closed captions. Nice. Oh. And I turned on the closed captions because he, he just goes,
2: jah, rah, nah. But if you turn on the closed captions, it says Moonchild. The movie I had in my brain when I was a child was not the movie I ended up watching a couple years out of college. What
4: would you? What did you guys say was your favorite movie when you were a little kid?
2: Never heard story. If you asked me when I was in like second or third grade what my favorite movie was, I would tell you Return of the Jedi because nothing was cooler than Luke Skywalker with a green lightsaber. It was a game changer.
4: Probably when I was in younger elementary school, my favorite movie would have been the heart-wrenching story of An Incredible Journey. Do you guys remember that movie? Talking Animals? Original Incredible Journey, probably made in the late 70s. No Talking Animals. Narration throughout there's a narrator over the yeah. story, but it is the story of a family who moves out to the wilderness somewhere and leaves their animals behind.
2: There's three animals, yeah, right? Two
4: dogs and one cat, and they find their way through the wilds back to their owner's new home.
2: There was a whole spate of Disney nature films like that back in the day.
4: Yeah, I think so. So
2: Bastion gives his mom the okay to go Did home you? and spend time with Tony and, you know, hopefully go out on the town and uh, catch a date or two, eh? Something to that effect, like, mom, move on. And then John appears. Michael Landon's
3: there. And
4: Arthur sees him, and Arthur says, You're right. I'm not afraid.
3: And he says, Keep looking at the moon, son. And he says, It's happening, Mr. Smith. I'm getting closer to the moon. And then we've got It's beautiful, Mr. Smith.
4: We're panning in on the moon. We're not seeing the characters. We're just panning in, getting closer and closer to the moon. I touched it, Mr. Smith.
5: I touched the moon.
1: Your Home, son,
2: that is not okay with right? me. This is not okay, these are exactly the kind of emotional warfare scenarios that I was avoiding as a young person not watching this show. So they kill Bastion, they kill him halfway through the show. He's dead.
4: The show's done, that's it. Absolutely, that is over. it, Sam. We didn't lead up to it. What enough. that is it. Oh man, that is too heavy worse than you thought That is too heavy heavy.
2: And it also feels like it's kind of wrapped in a lie in some way
4: Keep in mind this was one of my favorite shows growing
2: up It's all good You'll come to terms with how you feel about this show now Uh, I'm coming to terms with how I feel about this show now
4: This episode was tough
2: How long is this show? Is this an hour long program? Yes Okay, so there's no wrapping up What's Mark up to? There's no what's Tony up to? No, there's
4: no montage of Helen and Tony like having fun and cooking dinner, and okay, it was just your home, son.
2: Credits. This was the parenthood of its day. This Is Us is more of a current uh, reference, but this is a show where if you need to cry about loving your family, you're going to be able to do it every single Thursday for the last five minutes of this show.
4: That might be a good comparison. I haven't watched much Parenthood, but I did start watching This Is Us, and and I, I, I stopped. It was too much.
2: I'm not opposed to shows like Parenthood or This Is Us, but I just feel like that's the thing. It's like this is the cry show.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the running joke. Exactly what this you is said. You crying. watch it if you need to cry. Okay. I mean, not me, because I only cry at Highway to Heaven <laughs> once in a while. But <laughs> Definitely in Joel, in my household, Joel is the one who has more of a tendency to cry at things we're watching.
3: I just let You're the like... faucet pour. Like I don't want to shut it off completely and walk yeah. away. But at the same time, I'm just like, all right, let's see how far this is going to go. I, is this going to become a quiver?
4: As I've said, I, I'm fairly stoic. But I've talked a little bit about my jobs. I also work full-time. <laughs> In a special education program with 18 to 21 year old students. And I recently went to their graduation. And one of my students, he was the valedictorian and he gave the speech. And I knew it was going to be good. It was really good. And I got about halfway through and I didn't full on cry, but I was like, oh, I'm welling. I'm like, I got to hold this back because I'm not going to cry sitting here with all these kids around me. Totally think I'm not cool. No, I hear you. Everybody tell us when you last cried.
2: Call us on the Heavenly Hotline. And if we get enough responses, I'll just cut a little montage of locations and incidents instances in which uh you've spent time crying that'll be fun two things before we wrap up this episode uh joel what's the moral of this episode I would say
3: the moral of this episode is the definition of family is like who you make it. Families are just groups of people that need each other.
4: Uh,
2: Rachel, do you have anything to add to this?
4: Well, you know what? I'm just going to say a little bit of a hard time with this episode. Things happened pretty fast. I didn't know if I completely bought it all. So I don't know if I have a moral, but my takeaway for this episode is just when you get the chance, try to be that uh, old lady in the car. If you get a chance (laughs) to just go on a high speed chase, just do it. Grab that opportunity. Stick your head out of the sunroof and say, floor it, Roger. Go for it.
2: I love it. And uh, we discussed it at some point during this episode, but how would you rate, on a scale of one to ten Landons, what is the Michael Landon factor of episode two? I would say six, just because I feel like he was kind of absent for about a third of it. He seemed much more of a distant puppet master in this episode, where you didn't really see the inner workings of his plan being worked out by him. He was just sort of planting seeds and influencing people.
4: Yeah, definitely not as many Michael Landon quotes this episode either.
2: Very light on those as well. What's your rating, Rachel? I mean, I
4: feel the same way you do, Joel, but I'm going pretty low. Like, I went really high on the last mm-hmm. one, and yeah. I felt strongly about that one. But this You
2: went one, as high as you possibly yeah. could, actually. Yeah. You, you rated which, the last episode a 10.
4: Which, in retrospect, might not have been the best <laughs> thing to do. But I'm going to go with a 4. I'm going all the way down to 4. All right. I mean, if this was the only episode I had watched, I don't know how I would feel about the series. It had a lot of good moments, but the Michael Landon effect was not high in this one.
2: So an overall Landon effect of 5, Landon. That actually seems about right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you agree or disagree with anything that has been said on the world's newest Highway to Heaven podcast, uh, you let us know. Call that Heaven Hotline, and we will see you. You'll hear us. We will never see you. This is an audio medium. Uh, we'll see you on the next
1: episode. Hopefully. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. Oh,
2: Hey, it's gonna jump! You say, man, where you think you're going?
0: My friend here's a trainer and I'm a cut man. Cut man, huh? Cut man, too. Look, I've been trying to figure out how to solve this, but it's not up to me. It's not up to any angel. But if an angel can't handle it, who can? I think this is a job for the masked rider.
1: Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495, That number again is flow biz five. Your message might be played on the show. Or, send the show an email at highwaytoheavenrevisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Ryan Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.